Faculty Podcast brought to you by Reform Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm president and professor of Old Testament here, and I'm joined by my friends and colleagues and interlocutors in this context. Is that... is? <laughs> Are we all friends and colleagues and interlocutors? Are some of us friends, That's, some of us colleagues? Uh, there's a hermeneutical puzzle uh, here. Yeah, yeah. Some of us peers to critique us. That's right. Have you heard, you've heard of the poetic device of indeterminacy. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm at, practicing right now. We're off to a great start. Uh-huh. Dr. Lee is our professor of Old Testament. Because he's already critiqued me, he'll go last uh, as, as the unnamed academic dean. Our professor of systematic theology, Grace Utanto, is here, as is Tommy Keene, um, and who is our academic dean and professor of New Testament. And what we're going to talk about today, in brief, after that struggling introduction, is going to be the issue of academic integrity, academic collegiality, we might call comity. Okay, a couple of words I'm pulling out there. Comity's good. Yeah. And, um, uh, and academic responsibility in the endorsing, and I won't even add to that, the endorsing and the reviewing of books and other works, right? So maybe nowadays too, you'd be, do you endorse a blog? Do you endorse someone's video series? Do you endorse, you know, we, we are all familiar with retweets do not mean endorsements, okay? Yeah. You know, you, you, in social media, if you're drawing attention to somebody else's work. What do we think about um, as faculty members and as academics who are, by the way, both experts in our fields, but also represent an institution? That's something significant you got to think about. How do, what do we think about when we're asked to endorse and review other works? And, and I'll start with a story. It's been somewhat, it's become somewhat legendary in RTS circles. I don't know how far abroad it's gone, but it goes back to the 1990s um, at RTS Orlando. Uh, I was talking to Mike Glodo a couple weeks ago when I was down in Orlando, and he uh, filled me in on some of the details of it because he was actually present at this event, which is uh, happened around a, a visit of J.I. Packer to RTS Orlando, and um, he's in the bookstore and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mash this up, but this is the basics of it. One student walks up to him with a book that has an endorsement from J.I. Packer. And if anyone remembers from the '90s, 2000s, um, it was a big thing. It was yeah. like a Tim Keller endorsement to get J.I. Packer endorsing your book, right? It's a big thing on the back of the book to have a big quote by J.I. Packer. And this student said, um, "Dr. Packer." I see your endorsement on so many books. Do you really read them all? Okay, to which J.I. Packer said, and this is in a crowded room, which is how it got passed on. J.I. Packer says uh, uh, something like, my dear friend, I don't think you understand what you're asking. Right. In other words, you're asking me, am I a liar or not? And you're assuming I'm a liar. (laughs) Okay, so that raises a question because we all get asked to endorse books. We ask people to endorse books. Um, what should we expect? What, what what should we think about? What do you all think about when you're invited to do endorsements? Can, can I just interject here? I think there's a, like, this is an important question, you know, on the academic level, but there's also, uh, you know, 
a way of wrestling with this, you know, as a pastor, as a teacher, like just an ordinary Christian kind of what I I wrestled with it a lot in sermons. Like I want to quote this or that commentary or this or that exegete, but feel like, feel like they have something to say here, but I wouldn't endorse all of their work. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't pass on everything that they've said about every topic. And so do you, you know, who do you recommend to others as, you know, faithful teachers of the word, how faithful do they have to be in order to recommend them? So yeah. certain certain authors will show up in 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 sermons as, as one commentator puts it, um, uh-huh. you know, because you uh-huh. just you don't want to endorse everything that they've said. But at the same time, that's right, that's right. And sometimes people say that, you know, as yeah. so and so says. Now I wouldn't endorse everything he says, but he's right. really interesting on this point. You know, you might add something like that, right? Which. I kind of, whenever I read that, I want to say, of course. Of course, Of course, right. you Absolutely. wouldn't endorse everything they I wouldn't say. endorse everything that J.I. Packer says. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I'm sorry. I've got to go I'm there. I'm sorry. But... Well, I think this is an obvious <laughs> That was a point. joke. That was a joke. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Well, I don't endorse that comment, Tommy King. <laughs> go ahead. This is good. Dr. Sutanto. No, I, mean, I think that's an obvious point to us as academics, perhaps, and to those of us who have received endorsements or have given out endorsements, we kind of presume that. But I think there are some that are out there that they assume right. that endorsement just means you have to absolutely agree with everything. You're enthusiastic about everything. But it's just not how academic work well, and it works. Yeah, doesn't yeah. it get to this idea that there's like white hats and black hats out there? Right. And you got to be on the side of the white hats all the time and right. never be on the side of a black hat or even say that they have any value to offer. Right. So I'm very mindful of that. If I'm giving out an endorsement, I, I, I should be, I'm very mindful of the fact that people would think that if I endorse this, I endorse everything that they say. I enthusiastically affirm it or something like that. So I try to be as specific as I can about what I like about the book and hint at perhaps some points at which I would quibble, points at which I would critique, points that I'm not as comfortable with. So to me, I would endorse the book if I've read the book. And I generally think if somebody asked me about this topic, would I recommend this book to someone? Yeah whether it's a scholar who's thinking about researching this topic, I would say, hey, this is a book you should consider into your argument, or this is a book that you should engage with. Or if it's to a layperson who's saying, I want to read more about this topic, then yeah. I would say, this this is a book that you should wrestle with. So it's not an endorsement doesn't mean, this is my view, um, here I stand, I could do no other. An endorsement does mean, however, that this is something that I think is important, something that I generally agree with, perhaps, maybe, yeah. or something that I would uh, commend, but not necessarily something I would wholeheartedly confess. No. Yeah. And we've got these communities. This isn't just the problem of the endorser, right? This is the problem of the audience. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you. I can. I have friends, friends at my church who have come to me before and said, hey, I was reading this book and they said this thing. You don't believe that, do you? And I say, no, I don't believe that, obviously. And I say, but you said it was a good book. Yeah. I'm like, well, it is a good book. <laughs> yeah. But I don't mean that everything in it is of equal value. Right. You know, and, by, and this goes the other way, too. When there's a book or a pro, or author who you think is problematic, right. you need to be able to ask yourself, but is there something that they do offer that's of use? Yeah. Right. This is part of being this. Is, this is true of every if you can't do this, then you're not you're going to have a hard time in human relationships. You can have a, definitely a hard time in ministry. Mm-hmm. You have very different kinds of people with different opinions in your church itself. And how are you going to pastor them and, mm-hmm. and care for them? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think this actually goes beyond just. The, this this uh, area of academic endorsements. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We apply these rules to the world around us. Now, with that said, you should read the endorsements. See what does the person actually say about it. Exactly. Okay? Yep. What does he say about the book? Right. 
Yeah, there, there's a kind of party mentality, unfortunately, that can come with the endorsements that you only would endorse somebody that kind of represents your guild right. or your your group on the team on the, that's on the team. Yeah, I re- remember being asked what Greek grammar I would I would recommend, um, and you know, I, I gave my recommendations. It's a favorite young uh, Young's Intermediate Greek Grammar because it's uh, it's got a, a lot of literary uh, linguistic sensitivity to mm-hmm. it, and um, and the comment back was, "Well, but they're Baptist." Mm-hmm. And I just, I just, I just remember thinking, huh, uh-huh. that's a weird, yeah. that's a weird response. I mean, yeah. Baptists can exegete they're Greek too. They're quite, quite good at it. They're quite good. They're quite I didn't know that, Tommy. Can you expand on that a little bit more? About, about the Baptist <laughs> way about of exegeting Greek. Greek. No. Yeah, it's good. Very faithful. Very faithful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really, we're going after J.I. Packer and the Baptists, so we're kind of hidden yeah. on both sides. We're hoping for a Presbyterian-only audience. That's right. Dr. Lee, you look like you're about to say something to get us out of this. No, I like the Baptists, too. They can do good Greek. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're not going to get us out of it. Not only can they do good Greek, they could also do good Hebrew. It's amazing. Amazing, it's indeed. Amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely. I, I see this with assignments, too. And you have to remember this, too. I mean, this is an issue in our area here in Northern Virginia, right? Um uh, you see someone pull out and say, they assigned this book in class. Now, I know that K through 12 is different than seminary, but we are expecting in seminary at least a certain critical thinking. And I will assign authors in class who I may disagree with uh, you know, passionately, and yet the students need to engage with their work. Mm-hmm. I think it's an appropriate critique of James Barr, the, the 20th century Old Testament lexicographer, as it were, uh, who critiqued evangelicals saying they don't actually read critical scholarship. They just read other evangelicals talking about critical scholarship. Yeah. That's that's a legitimate critique. But that also means that I'm assigning and they're reading and engaging with people with whom I disagree in the class. And it's important to be able to do that not just so that you can know your opponent, but also that you can glean from maybe some of the helpful moves that they're making as well. So if I'm reading a book that I say I have some issues with, you know, I mean, I'm probably not going to endorse a book that I have significant issues with, but say I'm reading it, uh, this happened recently with the commentary. I, I did an endorsement on a commentary. I didn't quite agree with some of the canonical decisions that the author made. It wasn't because they were, you know, critical versus uncritical or something like that. It was just some moves that I didn't agree with. I don't, teach the prophets the way he, he talked about them. But I thought it was a helpful book. I thought he, yeah. he, he made his argument well. And so I said something along those lines. This is a contribution to the field. Uh, this will aid any reader in having a deeper understanding of these books, you know, kind of thing. You know, read, read the endorsement closely. You know, what, what is the person actually saying? Is he saying that you should buy, you, you should swallow this whole yeah. 100% or is he offering more of a, this is a, this is going to help you think better. It's going to help you get exposed to arguments that you might not have heard about before. So what do you think is the purpose of like the endorsement, both at the kind of casual level and and the more formal, the academic level? Like what bar, what goal, um, what value does the book have to have for it to be endorsable? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I think different books perhaps call for different mindsets with regards to endorsements. So I think with regards to like a critical monograph, a research monograph, then the endorsers that you're, right. you're having in view should be experts in the field that might not be the most popular, but they have vetted the book. They have taken a look at the book and said that this meets a certain standard. It makes a contribution to the field. And so if you have a monograph, I would say aim at the highest 
sort of most respected scholars in your field, even if nobody else knows about them. Mm-hmm. So notice here that that top level scholarship and expertise does not mean popularity, does not mean marketability. But there are other books, let's say, if you're, you're pitching a more sort of trade paperback sort of popular level uh, book, then there is the aspect of, hey, how can I get this to other people's hands as much as I can? And so in that sort of respect, the endorser that you have in view perhaps would be someone who has some kind of an audience already. Mm-hmm. And hopefully not just an audience for audience sake, but an audience because of their trustworthiness, an, an, an audience because of their faithfulness and the sort of work that they have done in the past that have reached the lay people. So I think two different mindsets there. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, the, the books, different kinds of books, different genre call for maybe different kinds of yeah. endorsements. And I think people need to know that like academic books and academic publishers don't look at um, the possibility of how much they can sell when they sign you on to a particular book mm. um, because they rely on libraries to buy these books and they recognize this is why they're, they're so expensive, by the way. So they sell it at a really high cost because they know that once the book released, every library needs to get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with popular level books, libraries don't necessarily need to get them, and they rely more so on individuals and the demand for those books to, yeah. to, to, to get sold. So academic publishers normally get their money back just by the initial release and the libraries getting it. And so it's a different mindset, different strategy for marketing. I asked for my first monograph, I asked um, Bloomsbury, TNT Clark, hey, are you going to give some free influencer copies to people? And they got back to me and asked me, what's an influencer? <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea what that means. Um, whereas uh, one of the first things that other publishers might want to do who don't depend on libraries to make that initial sort of um, uh, um, um, profit, um, they, would, they would ask, okay, what are the 20, 25 influencers, yeah. endorsers that I can give a free copy to so that they might promote the book yeah. because they depend on individuals actually wanting to get a book like that. Right, right. It's interesting. I th- that's a really interesting point, especially that kind of like the, the different genres because I do have, if, if I'm endorsing something or recommending something to a seminary student, I actually have a lower bar of how much I have to agree with it. Like I could, I could recommend something I might radically disagree with to to somebody that I know is going to put on that those critical lenses and provide a a uh, you know a thorough analysis of the book. But if it's a popular level book for somebody who's kind of getting an intro to the faith, I'm definitely going to recommend J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Um, <laughs> Good recovery. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, I, I actually have a higher bar for you know what what needs to be theologically in place yeah. before I recommend re- recommend that. So so both genre and audience, I think, depend, that depends yeah. and factors into how you recommend things. Yeah, and with that said, let me put in a plug for as you grow as a thinker, as you grow as a reader, that you do engage with people who are maybe outside of your yeah. party a little bit. Yep. Do that critically. But also, hopefully, and you know, we've we've seen some high-profile examples of late. Even people from within your party may be people you need to read critically, right? Mm-hmm. You need to be paying attention to what they're saying and the moves that they're making and their arguments. But I find, particularly for our seminary students, um, as they grow in their confessional rootedness, as they grow in their understanding of Scripture they'll often report, and I report this myself, I often get more challenged and get more creative 
but you know, biblically founded interpretation from reading scholars from outside of my tradition, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. they're they're showing me where my blind spots are. I know we've talked about this before in, yeah. this, in this group, but being open to reading people who are maybe outside of your typical tradition. I think the longevity and endurance of your ideas depend on whether you've exposed them to open criticism and depends on whether your readers would be less fearful of critiques of your ideas. So the more your ideas create a kind of fear that leads to a sort of censorship and a renewed sort of donatism where there's only some pure people that you could read and there's the unclean people that you should never read. The more your, the more people who follow that idea would feel like they're just kind of being closed off or they're just kind of sequestered from the truth that is outside or something like that. So one of the ways I think um, as seminary professors we need to steward this responsibility is when you are, there's just one example of it, when you are teaching and when you are laboring, you're assigning books that when students come away from the seminary, they continue to cite those books outside yeah. of seminary. Yeah. In other words, um, if the students are coming away from your seminary classes and your seminary curriculum, and they're citing the books in your classes in a, in a new context, and then people outside of that context are saying, I would never think that this is credible scholarship or this is not something citable, then I think you have set your students up for disappointment and discouragement. So I think that's something that for us to think about. So I try to think about not just whether this book is true, but whether this book holds up in critical scholarship out there or whether this book is a defensible sort of position and not just the books that I happen to agree with the most, if that makes sense. Yeah, yep. Yeah, especially in a seminary environment. Like, I, I, I don't want students to leave our walls and, and there just to be this huge hole in right. their in their knowledge, in their growth. I remember, you know, this is, this is the experience of a lot of folks who, you know, go on, who grow up in the church, right? And they, they actually grow up under good theology and, and good biblical teaching, but then they get to college and they realize that text criticism exists. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, no one told them that text criticism exists and that maybe... Because of fear. Because of, because of fear and will they doubt. And so then they, you find this, this whole breadth of this, this hole in your knowledge that can actually be more unsettling yeah. than if you had been exposed to it earlier. And maybe maybe that requires you to read outside of your comfort zone, yeah. to your point, Scott. You, know, you have to read outside of your immediate camp. Yeah, and if you feel you need a censor, that shows an insecurity in your ideas. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually quite vulnerable. And I think that's a service of, let me just put it this way, kind of confessional versus non-confessional scholarship. That's a service and a responsibility that confessional scholars have, I think, to identify the books that are, because of course there's a whole sea of other books that are of no use, right? And so how do you identify books? Like this is an important book. This is an important book. This is an important work. We may not agree with it, but it's important to know about it. And it helps, you know, I, I think we have a job as people who get paid to spend all of their time thinking about theology and the Bible Right, and that's that's the difference. Yeah. It's not and, that someone's yeah, right. That, that too, but it's not a matter of smartness or a, a star chamber or anything like that. You're just getting paid to spend all your time doing this, yeah. and that's part of our responsibility is to be able to help pastors and lay people who want to be educated in this way to know like, oh, you should probably read this book, right? You should probably we can be a filter for them to help them 
figure out even outside of the field what are the important works that they need to be engaging with yep so i think so sometimes you know people ask academics so why would you spend all your time writing these monographs that like five people would read and nobody else or mm -hmm. only a select handful of people would read why not just spend all your time writing books that will actually help people yeah, yeah. I, I liked how they would throw in that phrase why don't you just write books that would actually help someone you know but i think Again, just different different standards here, and and what you mean by important there too, Scott, mean differently in terms of the purposes of your book. So hopefully people understand that that when we talk about importance in terms of academic monographs, you're not talking about books that would necessarily be tweeted out or talked about in your churches, but they might still be in print 150 years from now, or they might be yeah. footnoted way more than the popular level book that would make a big splash, let's say, in the magazines and the, and the Twitter world, for instance. But perhaps in 50, 60 years, would look incredibly dated. Yeah. So I think there's just different goals for these things. So importance means longevity. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there, and a, there's, there's, this, this is a range. This isn't a binary distinction between academic and non-academic. Actually, I think a lot of what lay people would consider academic for the scholar, you'd say, oh, no, that's kind of mid-level. That's sort mm -hmm. of intellectual layman writing. Mm -hmm. And that too, I mean, actually in some ways, I think that's the one that's the most interesting and, and precarious because it both has an element of moving a field forward sometimes and also has an element of, I'm just trying to persuade you and win you to my point of view, mm -hmm. right? Which is a little bit different than an academic monograph. And it's definitely different than like a, pop, a very popular level, you know, any Christian with an eighth grade reading level can read the book. You know, and so for me, it's that kind of in-between space where I might say, hey, this person, I, I totally disagree with their conclusions, but they're they're doing some interesting things here that I think we can benefit from, yeah. right? Um, and being able to say something like that, you know, in, in, in the endorsement, I think that's why you should, don't, don't just write, and by the way, this is, this is, there's an issue here on the other side of feeling sort of peer pressure to write endorsements for your friends or colleagues or quote unquote allies, you know, and don't feel like you have to do that. I will say that if you are a friend, um, I'll be more inclined to consider endorsing and, and hopefully spend the time to read the book. But if I can't get to the whole book, then I would probably say um, perhaps we shouldn't endorse the book because I haven't read the whole thing. Right. I like this idea of, of, of stewardship, you know, you, the, in the recommend, the recommending of books in in, in what books we recommend, to, to whom we recommend, you know, and the, the various values that are associated with that. You know, mm -hmm. is, is this carrying the conversation, the, the dialogue about uh, this or that biblical idea or a theological uh, debate, is it carrying it forward? And you'd recommend that. No, yeah. matter, no matter how much you might disagree, if it carries the conversation forward yeah. in a valuable way, yeah. you, you would recommend it to an academic audience. You know, on the other hand, if, you know, to, to, to lay people and to people that are, you know, whose goals are different, they just want to better understand the Bible. We've got these yeah. great vetted resources that have stood the test of time and yeah. are readable and understand. And that, that's, a, that's about getting our communities and our people together around, mm -hmm. uh, around Scripture in a way that's actually valuable and helpful and doesn't carry on that party mentality, but yeah. is is looking for just deeper engagement. Yeah. One last recommendation. Uh, at the end of uh, John Frame's Doctrine of the Knowledge of God, he has a bunch of appendices <laughs> with that, handling a variety of different issues, but one of them is just like a page and a half 
um, outline of things that should be used and things that should not be used to evaluate theological writings. And I think it's an excellent little appendix. I make my students use it when they're doing book uh, reviews in one of my classes. And uh, I'm very clear in that, in, in those book reviews that I tell them use frames, yeah. you know, ideas like, you know, uh, you know, is it biblical? Is it profound? Uh, is it clear? Is it like, these are things that you're looking for. If you, if you just write a hagiography about the book, then I'm not, that's not going to get a good grade. What I want to see is actually a critical evaluation with it. Mm -hmm. And they evaluate books that are on very wildly different sides of reformed evangelical issues. Mm -hmm. And the whole point being, you need to be able to evaluate these somewhat clearly Right, and be able to analyze, be able to say both what's good about it and what's not good about it. Hey, thanks for having this conversation. It's a pressing issue. It's one that I think even those who are not endorsing books need to keep in mind because they're reading endorsements and they're receiving endorsements. And how we think about endorsements is an important part of the way that we engage with new ideas and uh, pick our reading material for the future. It's been great to have this conversation with you all. Look forward to having it again next week. Until then, take care. 